This is a main hustle media podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey, y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, and this is episode 44 of Militantly Mixed. We are closing in on our first year doing the show, which is crazy. It's just it, it, and I think I've said this before in previous episodes, it has both felt like it's flown by and I've been doing this for a hundred years. Like it feels like I've always been doing this, but at the same time, I just started last year and I can't believe, I don't know. I just can't believe it. It's crazy. So our anniversary date is July 5th. And as the time I'm recording, we are almost exactly two months away for our anniversary. I'm going to I'm working really hard on trying to do something special for the anniversary day. I mean, either way, I'll do something special, but there's something in particular that I'm actively trying to do, which as of the time I'm recording this, I have no idea if it's going to be successful. But if I can pull it off, I will, and I will be excited to share it with everybody. So we will see. But yeah, episode 44, and we are creeping up on our anniversary date. It's so wild. Um, Before we get into talking about who we're interviewing today. Uh, let's do a little bit of logistics. So I have to admit, I am feeling a little bit rusty militantly mixed wise. I, I had said that I was going to do a break during April, both to kind of fully let myself grieve for my cat, Ronan, who died in March. And I hadn't really, I'd allowed myself to be di- too distracted. I've been grieving and trying to function at the same time. I was going to try to not function and just grieve. I failed at that. I was busier in April than I had been in a while. I was trying to not do full intros for the show and just kind of let the show speak for themselves so that I could properly rest during that month. That didn't happen. Also got all bent out of shape and butt hurt over last week's episode, file being corrupted to the point that I felt defeated by it and really because of the feeling defeated by it could not just advance the other episodes like the episode that you're hearing today. I just couldn't advance it that week because I was just like, ugh. I felt a lot of things had piled up on me by last week. Um, and that partly is to do with the fact that I didn't give myself proper time for self-care. So I haven't figured out what my health issues are. They're just something I'm dealing with right now. Getting fatigued, having a bunch of stuff. So whatever. I'm just in one of those darker patches while also trying to be super excited and feeling super excited about the podcasting stuff because the podcasting stuff is really the area that I get the most out of my life. So it's a weird kind of torn, different than I've experienced in other places. It's usually like, you know, life sucks, but there's this one thing I like. And in this case, yeah, there's aspects of my personal life that are really sucking right now, but the podcasting stuff is such a huge offset of positivity that I'm almost uncomfortable that it's that good. I'm, I know that makes sense to people. I'm sure it makes sense to people, but it is. It's 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 so awesome. It's so much fun to do this podcasting thing that it is almost uncomfortable to enjoy it that much when I have other things in my life that aren't working out so <laughs> so well. It is uh, whatever. It's a bizarre feeling. Um, so you know, I might have sounded like a hot mess the last month. I definitely was. I kind of feel like a hot mess today because I'm dealing with something at my uh, at my job that I'm not happy with. So whatever. Give me a couple weeks, I might bounce back and be my full-ass, happy, mixed-ass self, or I'll continue to be hot mess for a little while. Who knows? We'll see. But either way, Militantly Mixed is just everything to me. It's it's something that gives me so much joy. Blurred Comics is another extension of me as a person, you know, where I get to really shine and enjoy myself. Producing Black Radical Queer, I get the same things. And shout out to Black Radical Queer and host Javia Nicole. This show just crossed over into its 10,000, a little bit over actually, or quite a bit over its 10,000th download. And that happened in under 10 months, which is super exciting. Black Radical Queer, if you're not already listening to it, it is another main hustle media podcast. It is hosted by my friend Javia Nicole and edited and produced by yours truly. And it is just an awesome show. They recently had a 
poetry episode where people called in and left voicemails of their poetry that they've been writing. It, it's a show about the black queer experience, or the radical experience, and it is just a life-giving show. I don't think you have to be black, radical, or queer to listen to it. I think if you're not, it would probably be good for you to listen to it so that you can learn about people that are different from you. But I love it. I love the show. I have been a guest on the show but I also produce the show. Uh, so maybe I'm a little bit biased, but congratulations to Javia and to Black Radical Queer for hitting over 10,000 downloads. And that's a goal that I'm trying to hit with Militantly Mixed. And as such, we're trying to raise funds to put Militantly Mixed on the road so that we can hopefully expand to as fast a growth as Black Radical Queer gets. Um, so earlier this month, and this is definitely triggered, or earlier in April, this is definitely triggered by my trip to Sacramento and the recordings of the interviews, like the one you're gonna hear today. Getting a chance to meet with people live and in person in front of an audience and have that energy kind of flow between all of us while we're talking about the mixed race experience was so amazing, so exciting that I need to do more of it. I'll always do the remote interview situation because that affords me the opportunity to speak to people like Salam in Ethiopia and John in Canada and James in the UK and everybody else that I've talked to that hasn't been anywhere remotely near me, including the United States as well. Uh, so I'll always do that because that's how we're going to get a wide footprint of mixedness on the show. But occasionally being able to sprinkle in a live interview in front of an audience would be amazing. So our fundraiser that we're doing right now between now and our anniversary of July 5th is we're trying to raise $2,500 on paypal.me slash militantly mixed you can go there and contribute as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish and this will help us with uh, traveling fees with venue possibly with uh, venue fees and possibly also with application fees for a couple of the mixed race conferences that are available because we need to get this message out there to a bigger audience. However you found us, if you're continuing to share it the same way you discovered us, that's great, that helps, and clearly it is working because I've had some major peaks in numbers over the last month and a half, two months. But if we can get on the road, we can get to more conferences, we can get to more cities, and more people will learn about us and spread it around to their friends. And every time I engage with someone who has discovered the show, the, it's always been the same thing. I finally get to hear myself reflected back to me. I feel represented, I feel seen. Uh, I didn't realize I wasn't the only one like this. And right now we're talking to a relatively small group of people across a very, you know, 7 billion people on the planet. And we're capturing a couple hundred of those folks. Let's try to get to a couple thousand. Let's try to get to tens of thousands. Let's try to get to millions. And that's where my head is at. So the fundraiser, which will close on our anniversary date of July 5th, is is for that purpose, to, to forward the occasional militantly mix on the road experience. Yeah, I guess that's all I have to say about that. I will report on our progress on social media and on the intros as of right now. It has been up for a couple weeks, but we haven't had any contributions in that respect. We still are getting contributions on the patreon.com slash militantly mix and that is if you want to do a more like a monthly sponsorship of this show you can donate as low as the dollar tier to as high as anything you wish. There's different reward levels depending on where you contribute at. And of course as that grows also some of the swag and the rewards will grow with it. But for now, the money that we receive helps you be able to listen to the show. It, it pays for the hosting fees to put the show out. Uh, eventually as that grows, it'll also improve our equipment. It will also improve our websites and things like that, our social media presence, all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's where we're at right now. So two ways to contribute. The Militantly Mixed on the Road fundraiser, you can go to paypal.me slash militantly mixed, or you can go to the monthly sponsorship, patreon.com slash militantly mixed, and you can find those links in the show notes. Make sure you're following us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. On Facebook, we actually get a little bit of engagement. I post articles about mixedness or colorism or, or various things having to do with people of color in general on there so we can engage in conversation there on uh, instagram you can see 
it's usually just things related to the show or retweets of people who have been guests on our show, regrams and things like that. So follow us there. It's also where I get a lot of guests. A lot of guests find us on Instagram and then message me through there. And that's how they end up on the show. And also Twitter, same thing. A lot of guests come through there. A lot of engagement um, with people from various mixed race organizations and stuff like that as well. So follow us on social media and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening to your podcast be it itunes stitcher soundcloud overcast spotify i'm still working on pandora and iHeartRadio, um, but we're we're in almost every other spot as far as i know unless it's an exclusive you can't be here unless you pay thing so yeah and share an episode with your friends and tell them why you're sharing it i think that's what's been going on lately and it has definitely helped we have picked up in some numbers so thank you to the audience for doing that and your continued support and please feel free to engage with me. I definitely respond to my emails, Charmaine at Militantly Mixed. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E, at MilitantlyMixed.com. Yeah, so I think that's it for the logistics introing today's show. My guest today is D Ortega. They are a student of Italian, Mexican, and general North American heritage. We talk about, uh, as an art major, we talk about how you in, you incorporate uh, your mixed race heritage, your ethnicity, your food, your culture into your art, and, and how your art kind of goes back and informs your identity so that was an awesome conversation and one i'm happy to share with you so without further ado please help me in welcoming d ortega to the militantly mixed family Okay, so um, in continuing on with my, I guess, chats here with students at Sierra College, I am joined by Dee, another student here. Hi. Dee, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell them who you are. Okay. Um, I am Dee Ortega. I'm a art history major here at Sierra College. Um, first year, well, kind of. It's like my third semester, but I've um, first year. Um, and... I'm militantly mixed. No, um, I, well, I, I'm a, com I would like to say I'm a complex person. Um, yeah. How do you identify as, like, in terms of your ethnicity and stuff like that? Oh, well, this is, it's, it's really complicated because, um, I kind of never felt like I was one thing mm -hmm. because I grew up with the thought that I was very Italian on my mother's side and Mexican or and or Native, well Mexican Native American on my dad's side, but as um, and I always everyone really thought of me as truly Italian, and mm. um, and that's something that has shaped my experience. The whole um, I'll go into later maybe. Um, <laughs> Um, but it turns out with the help of Ancestry.com, um, and this really complicates everything, um, but I'm not as Italian as I thought. I'm predominantly French, oh, really? and um, well, then there's Italian, but French and um, indigenous um, North American, Pueblo. Okay. And I knew there was a Native American side, but it turns out I'm not as Mexican as I've been raised on my dad's side. Oh, really? I'm not Mexican-American. Is it more because of the mixing of, like, the indigenous people and Europeans and all that kind of stuff? I think so. On my dad's side, my dad's very um, indigenous and European, but um, always thought Mexican, uh, Mexican-American. Um, that's how his, his brothers and family see themselves, and that's how I connected to that side. Mm -hmm. But I, that always made me feel different because I'm very, I'm light skinned. <laughs> um, and I just thought I was white, light skinned Mexican. And then, well, you're on my mom's side. But um, I've always felt like, I always felt like 
I didn't really belong to one group, mm-hmm. but I didn't know where I fit in. So I think the way I always kind of I think of my mixedness is is like I understand what my ethnic origins are, my ethnic breakdowns are, but I have to tie my culture in there too yeah. because that's what kind of connects you to the various groups. And so in my case, I'm black, Japanese, Caucasian, British, German, Irish. I don't know the German Irish people. So yeah. I'm ethnically German Irish, I'm not culturally German. Irish. Yeah. I am culturally black. I am culturally Japanese. I am culturally British to an extent. As much as like my nana was here and yeah. I was raised around her and stuff like that. So it's easy when we talk about being when I, when I talk about being mixed race, what I'm saying is that I am these three ethnic groups and these three cultures. Yeah. So in your case, you had exposure to the Italian side and the the Mexican side and now ancestry has told you what actually there's a lot more stuff going on. Yeah, oh well, yeah, more and then different, not really how you've been taught to see right, yourself. Right, how you've been taught, right. So does that affect did that send you in a, a bit of an identity spiral? A little. Um and I've always had like never um I didn't really look i mean i think i look italian um but i got i got different things not really mexican but greek jewish mm. um but french makes really sense like i'm a like the majority of my genealogy um, um my um dna makeup is french 36 mm. percent french but is that like a migratory thing? Like they start there and work their way down into Italy, and then by the time you have Italian relatives, no, I don't know. Relatives that come here. Oh, you so you don't. No. I guess that's the hard part of ancestry. I don't know whether. I think th- there's French that comes from both sides, but as far as I know, with my cousins doing the ancestry um, stuff, that I have the most percentage of French in the whole family, of like everyone. Of all, uh, like your cousins and yeah and like everyone okay so um no but i guess i was very i was socialized um as good very european mm-hmm. with eurocentric mannerisms um what at what point is the immigration to the united states so like is it still kind of we're still italian but we're here, or is it we were Italian and now we're here? Oh, well, on my grandparents, or on my mother's side, there's a rich sense of being Italian. Okay. Italian-American. Like, um, our um, ancestors immigrated here, and they followed the American dream, and they are, we're proud of Italian-Americans, we, we are too, and there seems to be, especially, I mean, um, growing up, um, always, like, I was, no, normalization of, there was this normalization of calling, instead of using grandmother and grand, um, grandfather, or aunt and uncle, mm-hmm. with grandmother and grandfather, grandma and grandpa, um, said nonni and nono. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's always weird to say grandparents. Like, oh, my grandparents. And say, no, no, no. I say it, too, because I have a British nana. Yeah, nana. And so then when I'm talking to Americans, though, even though I'm American, but yeah. it feels, you feel different because you have that thing. I, I'll say my British grandmother, and that feels strange. Or um, Zia and Zio for aunt and uncle. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Do you have, like, a broken Italian family language? Like Italian English. Oh, um, I kind of. Or are there only certain words that you always say in Italian, and then there's the rest is English? Because that's kind of my Japanese side. There's just some words. Yeah. So um, we we well first there's family quirks like at, always at gatherings um, instead of cheers there's the whole beviamo thing they're like. Beviamo, Beviamo, Beviamo. I don't know Italian as well as I should. Um, no, I do know some. Oh, I I know keywords in Italian, and um, like mezzo mezzo, like eh, or 
Um, is that like it's okay? It's it's not good. It's not. Bad. Yeah. Or um, no. I just I sometimes my nonna would will will talk to us in Italian and then we'll try to have to pick it up. Um, like oh, this is how I should respond. I think. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, no, no. There actually, as I think about it, there's there was a lot of use of broken Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think I know enough Italian to start going into this. So you don't, yeah. So you don't, pick, you didn't pick up. I did as much as you, or you probably knew more as a kid than you do right now because. But I'm just not fluent in Italian. That's what, like I can't say this means that because. Right. I mean. Um, like for me, there's some words I learned in Japanese first yeah. because I lived at my grandma's house. And then once I had to learn the English version of it, like left and right, I can't do left and right unless I think about it in Japanese first. Yeah. Because if I have to do left and right, I have to do, I have to hold my hands up and do the whole, this is an L, so this means left. But if I think about turning left or right, I think about it in Japanese first um, because that was just how I did it. But and I can pick up a lot more Japanese. I can understand a lot more than I can speak. Yeah. But if they speak a certain speed, I'm you've lost me. I don't know. I can't keep it up. But I'm noticing that it's fading because I'm not speaking. I'm not around my Japanese family as much as yeah. I used to be. So it's starting to fade. And then watching anime, I now have to read the subtitles more often than just listening to it. That kind of yeah. stuff. Like that kind of happens with time. Um. So when you were a kid, you had your grandparents around and so you had it sort of circulating in your head more often but now as an adult you kind of it's just not as present not as present um what about on the mexican side oh boy um well well the thing is um it seems that um we're we're connecting more with them now making um um, spending holidays and and doing stuff with that side more and more. Mm-hmm. So um, in childhood, not I mean th- they were there, they're always there. But now it feels like um, like my dad's side is close, becoming closer to me, mm-hmm. um, which is really nice um, because I I always wanted a connection to to it and. Um, and I have, in weird ways, I do still think of myself as part. I mean, part of this community, mm-hmm. even though, which is weird. The whole ancestry thing. I didn't have like a major like when people think of identity crisis, identity crisis. Yeah. But it really shook me to think about why do I still feel Mexican American if I'm not. Well, I think that's where the culture stuff comes yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. It's like you, yeah, yeah, ethnically you may be all these things, but culturally you're going to stay these things. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that you identify still, or wanting to still continue to identify with, even as it starts to slip away from you a little bit in percentages, the percentages will mess you up. Because uh, for me, uh, being, being technically half white because both of my parents were half white. Yeah. Um, I don't identify as white or half white because I don't have exposure to that side. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm of those things, but I'm not culturally those things. It's really hard to adapt to, but I'm very much culturally black and Japanese. And so it's easier. I find to just tell people I'm half black and half Japanese. So I don't have to fill in all these blanks in a regular conversation, not, you know, on the recording, I'm going to get into all of it, but (laughs) like in a regular conversation, I just want to be able to say I'm black and Japanese. And then they understand those are my cultures. But I was terrified going into my ancestry search because I didn't want to find out that I was going to be, because technically I should at least be 25% because my dad was. Yeah. I was afraid I was going to find out, like, how am I going to feel if I find out I'm 13% black? Or how am I going to feel if I find out I'm 9%? And 9 was the the point in which I thought I would be into full chaos. Like, full, like, identity crisis. My world is going to 
fall, fall apart. apart you know? Who am I? Yeah, then it would it would definitely say be a who am I because I grew up around black people. My dad is black. My fa- like all my family is black on my dad's side. So all these people that I grew up around and I no longer a part of because I happen to be because also with black side there's all the the colonial rape and there's all this yeah. stuff. And so you're just like, what happened to my people? I don't know. And then I get my results back, and I'm actually come through at like 24%. So it's just like, and the amount of relief, and I'm not a person that likes to like be emotional in front of people, but I just sat in a puddle on my floor of crying relief because but I it's found kind that of I validation. Was, it was validation. Yeah. And I think as mixed people, we tend to need that sometimes. Of I'm, am I black enough? Am I Japanese enough? Am I this enough? And yeah. In that moment, because I had never thought about whether or not I cared about the uh, the blood breakdown, blood quantum's, I guess. I now realize I actually did really, really care, and so. I got my validation. I'm still, I'm a still 24% black. And even yeah. though I knew there was definitely whiteness on my black side because my great grandmother could pass in like 1950, mm-hmm. 1850, she could pass for white. In 1970s, we could tell she was a light skinned black woman. Yeah. So depending on the time and the culture and stuff like that. So I think with you, what you're saying is like, it's, I don't think it's weird for you to say, I still identify with my Italian side and my Mexican side because I think you were raised at yeah. least with access to that. So that makes sense I, to me. You don't have to feel bad about that, I think. I just feel like, even though that those are very ingredient parts of me, I feel like I didn't belong in one group necessarily. Those, even though um, for the long, like my mother's side was very big in my life. Mm-hmm. I am myself first and I feel like I know it's just the sense of validation is very like necessary and I don't know it's hard to get that so I just I'm just learning to be myself first and try to make my own identity right and when you think about your own identity which obviously shifts a million times in your life do you what how do you see yourself first what pops into your head an artist yeah okay yeah no um no Seriously, uh, a lot of, I mean, I work heavily in art. I'm art history major. I've been artist as long as um, I can remember. I'm get, trying to get my foot in the door of the art world. Um, and when I think of I, building one's identity, I think, um, I mean, that is a part of more contemporary art and um using the identity as basis of politics is it's a very artistic endeavor and so um you have a social justice element to your art yeah and I, when maybe it's not as out there as um other social justice art i try what i want what i want to do as a person is to spread love and spread um the thought of everyday life and mundanity as beautiful and important and try to make a semi-universal just message you know um and i think that can be very political mm-hmm. it can because it's it's all about rethinking uh, um rethinking the world and rehashing and trying to propose a um a future where we can move past our um, very binary thoughts of, of the world and and s- kind of see past materialism and see past structures and just see things that face value, uh, see the world and try to see the world with curiosity and wonder and just try to better ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think as a person, um, one of my duties, I mean, I try my best to be an activist and educate myself and advocate for other people. Human rights and social justice and and activism are things that I am very conscious and adamant about. And as an artist, I think um, 
that's my avenue for talking about these things. And Do you work through stuff you're dealing with emotionally through your art as well? I think so. Um, when I when I make images of people, which I often do, I never really do people around me. But a lot of people, there was a point where I was drawing faces and people saw my face in that. But, um... Oh, okay. So you're, you are inserting your face in... Uh, not purposely. Just... It just ha- and, but now, but now... I'm just working on abstracting the body and abstra- and just, um, I don't know, <sighs> trying to bend expl- expectations. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just need to get that out. No, <laughs> you, this is your space to talk yeah. about those types of things. So with the, um, as you're kind of learning more about I guess your ethnic breakdown and trying to connect it to your culture and your identity and also politically we've got a lot going on right now so you know filtering how you feel about yourself through what the world is allowing for us whether it's through our race or our gender identity or our sexual identity or our political identity or belief identity like all the things that we have how are you how are you creating safe spaces for yourself For for myself for yourself yeah Oh, huh. For myself, I don't know. Um, well, I'm just trying to make it so um, I find my space and my place and and find where I fit in and, and um Self growth. Huh? <laughs> uh, Do you feel like you give yourself permission to figure it out? Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, I can be very harsh on myself, but not in a bad way. I think, um, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but self depreciation can, in small amounts, can um, help one. Um, grow when it's done in a loving way for one's self by oneself um to ground one's to ground yourself yeah it's all about grounding yourself and like oh yeah there's that bs that i've done but hey it's okay everyone is a, it's human and i am human and it's okay and i i'm and i try i try to be as sincere and open and and tender as I can be, mm-hmm. and I think that is a key to growth and and creating a safe space around you is being sincere mm-hmm. and and being vulnerable. I think um, being sensitive is is the strength going on in um, into the future. I think um, sensitivity and tenderness are going to be really sought out for um qualities because we are in a time where we are trying to ease toxic masculinity and toxic gender roles and i think opening up to one's mental health or one's um sensitivity is a step into ridding oneself of the toxic gender roles that they were um taught to fulfill and that's going to make interpersonal relationships really better and i mean if i do that that will create a a better space around me Mm -hmm. and then that would hopefully help others do the same not tell them that they should do that but it so you're seeking safe spaces but you're also making room for yourself to create spaces yeah Uh, creating space it's all it's all about i mean that's how we get spaces in the first place Mm -hmm. there has to be a moment where you have to initiate it right so one thing that comes up on the show quite a bit because we are mixed race and there's not a whole lot of mixed race representation that um Mixed race representation that's created by us yeah is mixed race representation out there but you can always read it as a mixed person, you can always read it as someone who doesn't know created that. Yeah. 
or or maybe if they did know they have a very binary view of it because it's just a you know black and white yeah actually okay um there was actually something i did want to talk about that kind of goes in with that um being um not knowing where i fit in and knowing that i'm mexican-american sorry it's um since childhood um and i think this is because of my father um and i'll explain this after i say it but um i've had a love for the music of the smiths and morrissey and it um if the listener doesn't know um the Smiths were a band from Manchester, England, uh, from 1982 to 1987. And the lead singer, Morrissey, um, has, a, despite lots of controversy, uh, um, uh, a very um, big catalog of his own. Um, but there's a stereotype, and well, not stereotype, but there's this cultural phenomena of a lot of... Um, the Latinx community, especially Mexican Americans in California, have a love for that music. Mm. And it, it's always been a cultural phenomena that I felt a part, not only part of, but very intrigued by. Like, why is this a thing? And, and, why is it a thing for Mexican Americans in general? Or why was it a thing for you? Oh, for Mexican Americans in general. Okay. Like, um, these this cultural phenomena of Mexican Americans, from what I've been told, in, in California... Um, and it's the sense of, um, I mean, his music, um, messages of it, it being okay to not fit in or to, um, be radical and sensitive in your own ways. And, um, I don't know. It's just, that's been something that made me, that made me feel connected to that community. It was like a validation point for yeah. Yeah, and it um, mixed race, mixed validation by a source that wasn't um, seeking to represent mixedness or other. Yeah, (laughs) accidental. Like, oh, this this music from England is very popular with Latinx community in southern, in well, northern California. Um, how did that, like, it's, it's all, it, it's all circumstance, but it happened and it's a thing and it, um, was, I mean, the music of the Smiths, um, really helped me grow up Mm -hmm. and because you have that awkward state as like a sense of teenage boy where, where you're like. Oh, everything is awkward, and I'm getting these feelings of love and and depression. What it, and that's how that's how yeah, but that's how that but that music is perfect for a teenage boy like that. <laughs> Angst filled, um, self love, but self love. I <laughs> um, that always gave me a tie to being Latinx. Mm. Uh, but we were we were starting out well when we got to this we were talking about sort of like creating representation yeah. for us or whatever and in in some cases it's accidental and it works it just speaks to us directly like this message yeah. you so that and Morrissey as well yeah so so that so that's that it More, um weird person um controversial figure now but very um iconic and um important to people in the past um but yeah representation i don't know i i don't know if i've ever have you ever seen yourself reflected in culture in culture oh um Huh. Doesn't that suck? Yeah. It takes that long for us to get there. I don't know about. I'll 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 share for in my case I have an unusual name Charmaine. Well, I, yeah. I have an unusual name for someone as pale as me. Charmaine. Yeah. 
first time. So I never see people who look like me on TV. If there are mixed people, they're black and white or they're Asian and white, but they're not black, white, and Asian. So I never see people whose faces look like me. But on a Cosby show, there was a character named Charmaine. Okay. Who over time became a drug addict. That hearing my name was the first time I thought I was being represented. Even though she didn't look like me, I was like, yeah. "Oh, that's me on TV." And then she became a crackhead. And then I'm thinking, "Oh shit, I'm I'm a I'm a mixed black girl in a hood named Charmaine, and the only other Charmaine I've ever heard of is a crackhead on TV." And that was my that was what I thought was my deal. Like that's yeah. what was gonna happen, right? Like this is this is the thing. It takes until I'm 40 years old. And I see Okoye, a character in Black Panther, on screen. Yeah. She doesn't look like me. She's dark-skinned, she's got a bald head, but she's a warrior, and she is loyal to a fault, even if it gets her in a bad space. That was the very first time I felt I saw myself properly represented on TV, even though she didn't look like me. She was a version of me. So sometimes it's not an exact representation, but sometimes there's a nugget that you can latch onto. And I guess you kind of latched on to the nuggets that were being I mean, dropped by the Smiths and Morrissey. But yeah. Have you seen anything else that yeah, validates who um, Validates who... Um, yeah. Not, like, visually, as in, oh, that person looks like me. Um, except for Alfred Molina. <laughs> um, oh, I can see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been told, and it was like... And then there's that... that um, Oh, that pop, um, like face, like, um, take a selfie and it matches you with celebrity face. Mm. And I got, I got a couple Alfred Molinas, but I also got Kumail Nanjiani, <laughs> and I'm like oh. a lot, a lot of time, and it was strong. I'm like, do I really look like? I mean, I love Kumail Nanjiani, um, great comedian, and actually, um, a lot of um re- representation. That I have got like in beginning in high school as a freshman to 2014, I got really into stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still really into stand up comedy and um, comedy writing, and that's other than working in the art world, something I want to pursue. And um, I got, um, I felt representation from by hearing stand-up comedians like Pat Oswald um, just talk about being awkward and nerdish and, and, and all the, and using references. And, and I just felt like this is something I could, right. I, this is me, the experience wise. Um, but look at how hard we have to work to try to find where we're represented compared to, because think of any awkward white boy out there who hears Patton Oswalt. Yeah. Instant connection. Full Instant. representation. But you're like, this aspect of him. Yeah, this aspect. I can get or, to. Or John Mulaney or... Um, oh, you uh, definitely have a type. Uh, like, the type of comedian. The very... The, the yeah. Awkward. awkward uh, kind of geeky. Rev- super knowledgeable. Super, super knowledgeable. Um, I'm a stand-up comedy nerd, too, so... <laughs> I go like two or three times. I listen. I listen to a lot of stand-up comedy and a lot of comedy podcasts, um, and that's a part of me. Um, it's funny because I feel like I way more understand now that you've said which comedy, which comedians you connect to. Like I feel like I get your whole thing a little bit better. Yeah. Than like when I first meet you. Yeah. Um, no, but. Um, I really like comedy of Mark Marin and um and podcasting. Okay, so in your case, you have a super knowledgeable, awkward, nerdy kind of deal that is also laced with some um like depression, anxiety. And, yeah, yeah. Okay. and not just the male version. Um, I mean, um, no, I lo- I love a lot of stand up comics. Um. Oh God, I love Margaret Cho. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, um, and <laughs> but I like I like absurd comedy. Um, I like British comedy, um, like like Steve Coogan's Alan Partridge character, and I 
Uh huh. Basically, like related to the because my British side of the family. Yeah. Cousin who's that dude, so I relate to him just like in like a family kind of. I love a lot of British humor. Is it the mean, the mean condescending but somehow awkward and funny thing? Because that's what I like. Well. The whole, how I try to explain Alan Partridge to people is that it's basically British Anchorman. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like this, this, like, this egotistical, but, and, and lovable character. Um, I don't know. It's, it's the absurdity of that character who, like, he has a big ego and, and, and everything, and but he's just, like but, justify the ego that he has. Yeah, <laughs> and his adventures just try to break him down, but he, I don't know. Um, do you, do you just like that or do you feel some sort of, can you see yourself a little bit in that, in that type of character? Kind of, um, always fair of, um, I don't want to be seen as like a bad egotistical person, but I mean, um, the absurdity of the character I connect with, trying to justify and um, embrace my absurdity. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt connected when I first saw The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, um, Bill Murray's titular t- t- character, because he's, he's like that. He's this is absurd but um, pom- pompous character. And in the end, you f- feel this major sense of catharsis and you feel connected to behind the ego lies this very vulnerable and um, sad person who just trying to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I love stand-up comedy and I like the stand-up co- comedians that I love because I see I see the different aspects that make myself myself. Mm-hmm. I see um the side of me that is very happy and is very um excited about the world there's the, the part of myself that loathes myself the part of myself that loves Aaron. Me. yeah oh. <laughs> oh. um oh i i connect a lot to mark man um there's the absurdity i grew up loving portlandia even though that is kind of problematic to, um, but it's, 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 it's yeah. Like you want to like him so bad, but he keeps, he keeps I don't know how to feel the whole, exactly the whole, um, Elizabeth Moss thing. Right. Um, but Carrie Brownstein, uh, I'm a, I'm an intersectional feminist. I love Riot girl punk music and I, uh, I love, her humor, um, I mean, I, she was in, or is in Slater Kenny, and I love Slater Kenny, um, but I, I guess comedy is the way that I've found myself, right. other than music. Right. I, I really, um, there's a lot of things that I can geek out about and go into death, stand-up comedy modern contemporary art and music being those main three do you have any examples that you get to attach to and and feel validating that is in a poc space and poc yeah um what yeah yeah but um i might have to i i know um like what are moments even that connect you, and well, I, I hear the 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 Smiths and the Morrison. Yeah. But what connects you to, to your Mexican American side? What connects, what connects you to me? Out Italian side when you're not around your family. Like, yeah. Like, it could be just accidentally validating, but like when you're maneuvering the world, what makes you feel like you get to represent or participate in? Mexican ness or Italian. Mexican well Italian ness um, cooking I okay. I um, really like cooking um, and that's a way that um, I I see food as one of the best ways to 
um, immerse yourself in different cultures and find the connections that all make, that makes us that makes everyone human. Um, I really like um, and watching um, chefs talk about food like David Chang. Um, his show Ugly Del- Delicious on Netflix is a very um, great example of this um, trying to dissect the culture and context behind food. Um, and sometimes the negative history is behind certain food. Um, there's an episode about the history and different cultural connotations of fried chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, what makes me feel Italian um, film and um, uh, um, studying art um, feel connection to um, movements such as Art Pavera or um, neo-Italian film um, like Pasolini and Fellini and um, those directors. I I really find it um, interesting uh, I'm I'm really I'm into film as much as I can be. Sometimes it's hard getting into film, but um, I think I'm I like to be as really invested into culture, and I want to become someone transcendent of one culture. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to be myself and to embrace culture. And tra- are you trying to embrace what you've discovered in your ethnic? breakdown or are you just trying to like in sort of a worldview way attached to all both um and with the ethnic news of being mostly french i do have a connection to french culture um i love french film and i um i see the french making sense in in my personality um is that stuff you started to notice after you discovered that you had French ancestry? Like, um, like all of a sudden something made sense because you saw it, and then you're like, "Oh, I." Well, um, feeling connections before and then after. And after, yeah. Um, coffee culture. <laughs> no, no, but coffee um, has a distinctly, um, like coffee in the European context. Um, that that feels like a. I mean, I love coffee, and that so makes like very Italian ways or very, very Italian ways or French ways. Oh, tea! No, tea's great. I like iced tea. Iced tea's great. Um, <laughs> I'm not on the chai train as much as I want to be. I just <laughs> chai tea. Um, before like your you yeah. said part of the co- coffee yeah. culture like you or chai, go- where you folk you kind of like drink coffee in like a very italian way and now that you've discovered some french ancestry maybe are you broadening your well no fr- italian and french i feel like so there is ba- so i feel like i'm comprised of being raised european being raised latinx and i think those Really, and then being raised with a sense of wanting to break off and find who I am mm-hmm. um, with Mexican culture. Again, food. Um, us. Yeah. No, I have um, a strong sense of family connected with food and having tamale parties and, and learning how to cook. And yeah. <laughs> well, it, um, every year it's the, the, having friends and family over. Um, having everyone work together makes them all the huge thing. And, and, like the and you know yeah, it's a sense food. of family and it's yeah. a sense of, of validation. Um, do you know why you chuckle every time you, you say validation? It's a weird thing. Validation. Did you realize you were doing it? Now I, I, um, did. It's just humor. As we talked about earlier, is a way of um, getting through the awkwardness of oneself and one's experience. And validation is a hard thing to get. Mm-hmm. And it's very, and when things that you need in life are very hard to get in, the path of self growth can be really awkward. And awkwardness can lead to laughing as a, as a way of brushing it off or self defense or, yeah. or, yeah. So, yeah, no, um, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I'm trying to think of POC culture, that, which there is. Um, 
like in your day to day life, are you maneuvering through POC spaces or are you primarily in white spaces? Are you primarily the only brown in a white space? I live in. I probably shouldn't that should be bleeped out but um but yeah growing up vaguely not white in a white environment like who am I that's seriously um that's something that has made me grow and discover who I am but there's a lot of I in high school music was discovering music was one of the ways that helped me get through high school and I have a huge record collection, CD collection, and helps me. It, it really helped me, and I um, there's it's um, a lot of musicians. Part of that Prince, which, who I love with a passion. I love um, Prince. And talk about a person who managed to be the most uber confident. Yeah. Should have had no, no co- reason. No to reason. Be given toxic masculinity and all this kind of stuff, like debunks. How he even now I can't fathom how he how he did it that confidently like how he was wearing blouses and blouses and, and people still thought he was the manliest man oh my oh my <laughs> no Prince was very um and has been very influential to me Janelle Monet I got a lot of um people uh, experiences with people saying oh. You must really, really, really love David Bowie. You must really be influential, um, uh, influenced by David Bowie and impact, like, impact. And I'm, and I have thought about that a lot. And just because I'm weird and choose to embrace my weirdness doesn't mean I have to love David Bowie. And I think a lot of people see that, yeah. like, oh, it's or this that it's a type of person or a type of person that you could attach to. Because the same, like I. Prince and Janelle Monáe are two people that make sense to me. Given yeah. My deals, but Bowie doesn't. But I think that has to do, even though he's a British white man. Yeah. I, it doesn't connect necessarily to me. I don't. I can't see through the lens where a person could maneuver without awkwardness if he wanted to, like a yeah. privilege. I, I can't. I don't have that understanding. So it's easier for me to attach to say a Prince or Janelle Monáe where they are marginalized but still out there running things you know yeah um i and that caused a lot of like self-realization happening like well yeah i can see why people think that david bowie's really influenced me um weird mannish whitish person but no um prince kate bush um who i um really love that was a person discovering her music um not person of color, but person who really um, helped me come in terms with sensitivity and being strange. Like, actually, that was discovering her music. That was the moment when I was finally, like, my eyes opened and was like, yeah, it's okay to be strange. It's okay to be. And that's um, came to me where at this point where I decided to just embrace it. And my junior and senior years of high school were the best high um Isolate experiences that I've had because of that, right. and um, so you have a strangeness identifier. As yeah, deal, and it took and, a while to get there, but once you got there, it helps. Yeah, who you are. And a lot of music um, has helped me with that. Bjork, um, um, a musician that I really love right now is Lizzo. Uh, she's African American. She owns her body and her and her and herself and that's really um something that i love um so you but you do get validated like when you see strangeness in people confident strangeness in people it helps validate yeah you as a person yeah um because i think that looking at people um and finding commonality and strangeness that that starts to topple down barriers right and starts to and starts to make you connect to people despite Any upbringing kind. ethnicity race gender sexuality and i think that's a i think it might be a good way at looking at the world um and yeah so a lot of culture despite of origin has impacted who i am and coming at terms of not really finding validation in one set culture or cult, um, 
my upbringing in general, I think strangeness is giving me the validation I need. Mm. That's cool. Uh, well, we are coming to the end of our recording, so I do like to end every show with this question. Um, okay. Even as you're searching for your identity because you're at the age where you're going to be changing <laughs> from time to time or whatever, uh, what do you love most about being mixed race? Um, the complexity. You know, I really am grateful for even the struggles of figuring out who I am. Um, I am grateful for the complexity it's given to my experience and learning to grow. And I just, I love myself for that. And I love being able to set roots in many different cultures. And instead of becoming a person in one culture and that's all who, that culture is all I am. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. And I hope that I hope that it felt good and it wasn't too too uncomfortably awkward, but like good. Yeah. Um, now <laughs> let me plug in my church. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I heard that part. Um, no, no, that was. A... Yeah. No. Secular humanism. We meet every Wednesday, wherever you are, wherever you are. Just go outside, lay in the grass, and let the earth consume you. Maybe have a Kurt Vonnegut book on your chest and just think about what makes you human. That's awesome. Thank you for Militantly Mixed is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.